0: Tonight's reading will be from uh, the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verses 1 to 9, and then 2 Timothy, chapter 1, 1 to 12, starting with Joshua. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And now turning to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, And, I am persuaded, now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, And off this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day.
1: Brilliant. Thanks, Nat, very much. Good. Well, can I say good evening properly after the ritual humiliation that took place a little earlier? Um, Good evening, everyone. May we pray. Father God, we thank you for your call on our lives. We thank you that you gift us with your spirit and with blessings for your people and for the world around us we admit we confess that we are often fearful timid and avoid all the potential of what you do in our lives we pray this evening you will teach us how to step out of our habits of timidity and fear into your world with the power the love, and the self-discipline which you call us into. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. That prayer will alert you to uh, the verse which is on my mind this evening and which uh, I want to uh, tease out as we go along. A famous verse, um, but one which has some real some real depth and some real uh, meat for us to to digest this evening. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. I got back this past week from uh, a visit for a couple of weeks to Egypt. Uh, Many of you will know that because... uh, um, I was able to share some information about that with you, and also I believe uh, that you have prayed for me as I've been on my travels, for which I'm uh, really grateful. It's been uh, a great experience, actually, to have the, the freedom to share some of my experiences as I've gone along, and also to know uh, that I've been supported in, in prayer, so thank you for that. And part of what I have in mind this evening is to share some of the experiences i I had in Egypt, which to me seemed to be particularly significant. Um, I think they relate very much to the theme for this Sunday. Across this Sunday, we've been thinking about this theme of freedom from fear, and we've been focusing on that particular on that particular verse and uh, what it suggests of the uh, the tendency we have all the time to defend ourselves, to retreat, to protect ourselves in a world which is challenging and difficult, um, and rather than living with the full confidence that God wants to to give us. So that's what we're looking at this evening. And I want also to illustrate that in a way from some of the experiences uh, I became aware of uh, of the Egyptian church. Fear and bewilderment, I I think, are the two words which um, came back to my mind a number of times as I was talking with friends and various uh, church leaders in Egypt during that time. They've lived for 1,400 years um, under Islamic control, the the church in Egypt. It's still about 15%, 10 to 15% of the population are are Christian even today and uh, they have lived for centuries under... Uh, a system of oppression, uh, sometimes outright persecution, harassment, uh, sometimes uh, at, the day, at the threat of their lives. Other times it's been simply the status of being second class citizens, uh, of being excluded from power and opportunity in society. So the church in Egypt has centuries actually of a culture of uh, defensiveness, of building walls around itself of self-protection, where the the main target for every generation has been to hand on the gospel to the next generation to keep the church alive. Issues of of witness and mission and extension into the surrounding society have been uh, hard uh, hard to accomplish, hard to embrace. And that defensive spirit is, is deeply entrenched, and it's not at all hard to understand it. It's not at all hard to sympathize with it. Uh, it's, it's been there for many, many centuries. And in more recent decades, during uh, the last 50 years or so, um, that's had a particular edge to it uh, through the military uh, dictatorship, which was established, first of all, by uh, Abdul Nasser and continued... Uh, through to uh, Mubarak, um, who was overthrown uh, just a few years ago. That period was extremely... It was full of a profound temptation for the church in Egypt, really, because on the one hand, the state offered them protection. The state offered them protection against harassment in society, uh, uh, um, persecution the closing of churches, all those things it was protected against, but the deal was that in return for that, you gave your support to the government. And so the church found itself in this ambiguous situation, this stressful situation of being uh, supporters of, and articulate supporters of a a regime that was basically oppressive, but which uh, protected you in, in some ways. Then came the so-called Arab Spring and a huge upsurge of demand for the overthrow of the regime and for the establishment of of democracy and freedom and uh, the the freedom of people to express themselves, to have free elections, and and so on. And the church found itself on the wrong side of that that movement for a very long time, uh, committed to this vocal support for the regime which uh, millions of people were were campaigning against, demonstrating against, and the church gradually moved itself and found uh, itself drawn into that movement. And uh, there were churches in Cairo which were involved in setting up uh, first aid stations and food stations, um, prayer prayer gatherings, um, public uh, uh, they held public occasions at which the issues could be debated. The churches got into that movement and uh, changed their, their orientation, as it were, their, their stand, their position. And then uh, elections were held and uh, a, with some significant degree of freedom, and the outcome of that was a, uh, an Islamic government uh, dominated by the, the Muslim Brotherhood. That led to uh, an outburst of violence against the churches and uh, something like 84 churches were burnt in one great uh, assault on the churches in August of 2013 and following that Christians, especially in Upper Egypt, found themselves under a lot of pressure, under a lot of threat, uh, in a lot of danger. And so the church leaders were continually trying to catch up with and place themselves with integrity in this rapidly changing situation, having been supporters of an autocratic regime, being drawn into the democratic movement, then finding the democratic movement had gone sour and that they were the the victims of a a radical Islamic movement. And then the whole thing came full circle uh, with the restoration of uh, military control and the establishment of a military autocracy which is essentially what we have today and the church is now finding itself pressured under immense pressure to establish that same kind of deal that it had for so long that the church will be protected by the state its buildings will be protected its people protected in return for the articulate public support of church leaders I am very glad I am not an Egyptian church leader. I think the pressures, the temptations, the conundrums with which they've been faced over the last uh, decade especially, have been monstrous. I don't know how. With integrity, with faith, with some kind of wisdom, uh, you would navigate your way through such pressures. Um, Many of them must have lain awake at night uh, praying and wondering just how to speak into into the the changing situations they they were facing. We've supported the church in in Egypt a long time. We've prayed for it. Um, I believe we will continue praying for it. I urge you to continue praying for the church in Egypt with an awareness of these extraordinary tensions and contradictions with which church leaders are faced. Uh, and the difficulties of speaking with integrity and wisdom um, and with spiritual discernment into situations of of, of such complexity. Alongside that, though, history doesn't simply repeat itself. Uh, Things have changed profoundly. And once the genie, as it were, of public debate and democracy and a desire for free speech and all those things are, once they're out of the bottle, um, it's hard to get them back into the bottle and although we have a repressive regime in Egypt now a very brutal one and one which imprisons a lot of people and tortures a lot of people um, there is a a remarkable atmosphere of of public discussion and public debate um, which everyone comments upon. Behind that lies a spirit of disillusion and uh, a willingness to step outside a, a long culture of fear not just for Christians but for Muslims as well and there is now and many people speak about it of course I I don't hear it myself but uh, I I hear people speak about it there is an atmosphere of discussion and debate uh, in, in Egyptian society and there is a broad sense of disillusion with what Islam has meant in Egypt over many long years if Islam can lead to this kind of oppression, if Islam can lead to this kind of violence, then there has, there has to be some other way. And many uh, Egyptians are questioning uh, the assumptions that they and their, and their forefathers have held for, for many generations. So Christians find themselves in a strange place, a strange time of opportunity, strange time of opportunity when people do ask them in their businesses and in their social life, uh, when families meet, they ask them uh, what actually Christians believe, what Christians teach, what what is it about Christi- what, what in Christianity might be relevant to our, our challenges in Egyptian society today. Um, many Christians comment on that, and in the middle of that there 's uh, an extraordinary new group emerging which Um, is not large but is is widely spoken about Uh, men and women who have uh, been so disillusioned with uh, religious motivation in Egypt uh, most of them Muslims but some Christians as well that they have publicly declared themselves uh, to be atheists (laughs) and to be an atheist in Egypt is actually a capital offense I don't think anyone at the moment is daring to um, apply that kind of uh, ruthless justice to this situation but that's actually the danger that people undertake by uh, under uh, positioning themselves in, in that way in society so there is an extraordinary ferment going on on in Egypt it's who knows where this will end but uh, the monolithic nature of Islam in, in Egypt is, is is breaking up um, there is religious questioning the spiritual questioning um, there is democratic Uh, questioning, and the church and its leaders and ordinary Christian people are are being faced with conversations and challenges and debates which they've never had before. Uh, They're having to think on their feet and make uh, make responses to friends and colleagues and people they meet in in society in a way they have never had to do before. So let's pray for Egyptian leaders. Let's pray for um, all Ordinary Egyptian Christians in, in business life, in schools, in, in colleges, in, in their social circles. Extraordinary things are happening. There's a TV host, in um, a man who hosts a, a very popular TV program in, in Egypt. I'm told he's uh, uh, essential viewing for, for Egyptians. Millions watch his programs every week. And in recent weeks, he's been reading publicly uh, on television... Uh, from the Sermon on the Mount, from Matthew's Gospel. And he's been saying openly uh, across Egypt, uh, in the hearing of millions of people, we need to be listening to to the teachings of the Prophet Jesus. His teachings uh, could be really valuable to our society at this time. And then he's been reading uh, on the uh, the television uh, passages from, uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. Extraordinary, inconceivable, a few years ago. So that even though the wheel has come full circle back to military autocracy in one sense, in another sense things have changed profoundly and things have, have broken up. I'd like to just give one uh, example in a more detailed way, um, now not, not in great detail, but I came across there something of which I had heard before uh, called the Arkhan Cultural Center. Arcan is just a, a simple Arabic word meaning corners. And <clears throat> This is a really remarkable initiative. It's the initiative of a man called Nader, who's uh, an Anglican Christian in Egypt. Uh, I spent a couple of hours with him sort of exploring the story behind this. And he said he had spent much of his life looking for ways in which uh, the gospel could be shared with uh, Muslim young people in Egypt. And he'd been part of all kinds of ventures over the years, uh, trying to Uh, make some kind of breakthrough, some kind of contact and mostly things had come to nothing or to very little. He's been overwhelmed by the response to an initiative he began to take uh, about four years ago. He made an open invitation, I'm not quite sure how it began but it soon uh, gathered momentum Um, He invited Christian young people and Muslim young people to gather at the cathedral building in Alexandria and uh, to explore together um, their own personal issues as teenagers and as students and as young adults, um, their own issues and and the issues of Egyptian society and to do it through uh, cultural artistic creation. So um, many of them are involved in the uh, visual arts, in painting and drawing, Uh, others in music, um, others in poetry and art uh, and literature, and uh, in particular, in dramatic productions. And um, some hundreds of people meet uh, Wednesday, Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday nights of, of each week There are altogether something like 1,500 people involved in this this enterprise. Uh, It's an extraordinary initiative which you would not have anticipated actually working, actually happening, that week by week, hundreds of Egyptian young people, Christians and Muslims, are meeting to uh, create art, to create dramatic performances, to put together exhibitions, to make films about contemporary (laughs) issues in... uh, In Egypt. And in that way to build relationships and to build friendships. Um, It's had a huge impact on on the town of Alexandria is where this has happened. Nader told me that more than 600 newspaper articles have been written about this venture uh, internationally. It's, uh, it's been covered. At the last service, someone told me that she, she was very certain she'd actually seen a report about this on the BBC website. It's been an extraordinary success, and it has uh, had two offspring. There are two other cultural centres of this kind in, in Cairo. I've got just uh, a couple of minutes of video now. Um, mainly, I, I just show it for uh, the, the visual, just to give you a visual idea of, who's involved in this. It's, uh, there are pictures taken around the cathedral compound in Alexandria. There's not a lot of space there. Corners is the right word for this, this program. But it just gives you a sense of the, the, the young people and the, uh, and, and the actual activities that are taking place. There's, uh, it's in Arabic, um, but there are English subtitles in a rather quaint form of our language. Um, but it's, it, it will just give you a flavor.
2: من اللي أنا شفته وأتمنى أن مركز أركان يكون نموذج يحتذى به في أماكن كتير زيت جمعته كده من كليات مختلفة في المركز الثقافي بتاع كاتدرائيه القديس برقص الأصطفية أركان الثقافة الثقافة اللي جمعته الثقافة في دمنا كمصريين فالكنيسة الاسقفيه بتلعب دور مهم قوي في بناء الجسور ما بين المسيحيين والمسلمين المصريين وأنا يعني سعيد جداً بأنه واحد من اللي بيلعب دور مهم قوي مركز أركان اللي انتوا جيتوا منه أنا شايف هنا شباب وبنات مسلمين وشباب وبنات مسيحيين بيعملوا عمل فني مشترك سواء في الرسومات سواء في الافلام سواء في التصوير تاريخ الكاتدرائية من وقت طويل من سنة لما انشئت and uh, uh, التغيرات...
1: At the end there's a longer version of about eight minutes. It's it's not highly sophisticated as, as you can see, but I'd like to run it just at the end of the service. Um, if people would just like to uh, see the the images of Arcan at work then uh, do stay and just uh, look at a, a few minutes of that if you'd like we're just running at the end of the service in case anyone would like to see it. What strikes me about it is it's the most hopeful thing in Egypt I've seen in many many years um, in terms of building relationships where conversations of trust and substance can be held in a situation that's been profoundly polarized over, over recent years, here is somewhere where Christian and Muslim young people are finding common ground, finding uh, that they can talk about their own lives and, and the future of, of, of Egypt together. And it's uh, who knows what happens in those conversations? Uh, Nader has spent a lifetime looking for those uh, ways in which Christians and Muslims can meet, and, and here it's happening. Um, but the The interaction is at the level of the friendships and the relationships uh, between the young people involved. That brings me back to our text for tonight, which is where I'd I'd like to finish. Um, But I'd just like to bring you back to that that text. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And... I think that and some of the other ventures I've seen in Egypt as well indicate a society which is based on fear, where successive governments have tried to control society through fear and through oppression, sometimes through outright terror, um, and where Christians and others have learned to live above that, to break out of that, and to live lives of of freedom um, and, and of hope. The language in our verse is actually very strong. Uh, The NIV talks about God hasn't given us a spirit of timidity in the new RSV. It says a spirit of cowardice. uh, In the NEB, the New English Bible, it talks about a craven spirit. Um, Strong words that indicate uh, places of retreat to which we can go in in our fear of, of the wider world. And the verse has two contexts which help us just understand what what Paul really wants to say here. There's a personal one and a a social one. The the previous verse, Paul talks about the fact that um, he had prayed for Timothy and Timothy had been uh, given gifts for the the ministry amongst God's people. And it's a reminder that uh, all of God's people are included in that anointing and that giving uh, of God, that generosity of God. We are all given gifts to use for the blessing of God's people and for the blessing of, of society. And the New Testament gives altogether a huge range of expressions of those, of those gifts and what they might be. And Paul says to Timothy, Do not let that be extinguished, do not let that go out, fan it into flame. Keep it burning. This is what God is doing uh, within you. And do not let it go to waste. Do not be controlled by a spirit of fear, a spirit of timidity. But instead, exercise the the gift that God has, the, the calling that God has for you, the spirit that God gives to you, which is the spirit of power that he gives to you, a spirit of love for people around you and a spirit of self-discipline. That's the the sort of personal dimension of this. And the the social dimension follows on in the subsequent verses where Paul emphasizes that this way of living, this way of breaking out of the shackles of of fear and timidity to live lives of freedom and openness in power, love, and self-control take place in a world which is dangerous. He is in prison. He is uh, suffering for his faith. Those others, others he knows are in the same situation. Timothy will have to walk that same path as well. He needs to be willing to suffer as a faithful soldier of, of Jesus Christ. And this is the way that Christians need to live in the middle of it. To recognize the dangers of timidity and caution and fear and of defensive walls. To realize that that's not actually God's calling on their lives but that God is actually calling them to step outside of that to live lives of freedom lives of freedom that are characterized by power and love and self-control fear is a constant accompaniment of our lives isn't it Um, it's not at all difficult as I've tried to describe um, the situation in Egypt to anticipate the kind of fear That many people live under in Egypt, uh, whether they are Christians or not. And particularly the the fear, the anxiety, the caution that is likely to um, control Christians in their living in society. They've been accustomed to it for a very long time. But in our own world, in the pressures of our own world, in the pressures of our own society, we have many fears and anxieties. We live in a very anxious society. Fear of illness, fear of death our own death or the death of others fear of failure fear of being truly known for who we are fear of what people will think of us fear that we are not lovable fear of losing our security in different ways fear about our our marriage our families fear about our employment anxiety in its many many forms We live in a highly anxious society and at this time of year as we think of our our young people um, taking exams at different levels from schools through universities and so on, many of them experience extreme worry and fear and anxiety. My wife works uh, in counselling and particularly with international students at at the university and she works with a lot of uh, Chinese students. Many of them come from one-child families, as has been the policy in China for for many years. They come to this country to study with immense uh, expectations upon them from their family. Not simply that they will succeed, but that they will succeed at the highest level. And many of these young people carry uh, huge burdens of anxiety and fear uh, of not being able to fulfill the immense expectations upon them We live in a world and we live in a society where anxiety and fear fear characterize many of our lives. But God did not give us a spirit of timidity. It will be a lifetime journey. This is not something that is uh, secured in a moment for for most of us. Most of us journey most of our lives uh, with fears and anxieties. Sometimes we need... Specialist help to to unravel them and to help us make progress. The context of Christian fellowship here provides for us a setting in which we can begin to flourish and begin to step free. A place in which we decide for ourselves and together that we will not live in a culture of fear and timidity, but we will seek more and more, step by step, incrementally, to live in the calling that God has for us, a spirit characterized by power and love and self-control. Power is God's gift for our our living. As I've been sort of working on this during the week, it seemed to me that uh, the power that we have for Christian living is rooted in our identity as sons and daughters of of the living God, that in Christ we are made members of God's family, sons and, and daughters. Uh, In another place, Paul writes these words, you did not receive a spirit that makes you again a slave to fear. That's exactly the same thought as in our passage tonight. God did not, uh, you did not receive a spirit that makes you again a slave to fear, but you did receive the spirit of sonship. So there he recasts it in terms of of sonship. And the beginning of John's gospel, um, we read there that, Many people rejected the coming of Christ into the world, but those who did receive him, those who accepted him, who believed in his name, he gave power to them to become sons and daughters of God. And it just seems to me that the New Testament suggests that the, that the heart, that the, the powerfulness of Christian living, its real energy comes from that identity that we become sons and daughters of the living God. And that, that is the key to stepping out of this circle of timidity and fear in, into a place of freedom. The second characteristic is a, a spirit of love. And the New Testament is awash with many uh, explanations and many uh, enlargements of, of what it means to be people who know how to love in, in a world where that's so elusive. Uh, the most famous chapter of course is the famous chapter 13 of the first letter to the corinthians where what it means to live in love in the world is just fleshed out for us love is never boastful love is never proud love is never rude love is never self-seeking that's the way of life for us as disciples of jesus learning how to step out of fear and timidity into a place of freedom Uh, freedom as the sons and daughters of the living God, courageous now to live lives of love in in a world which knows all too little about it. And the third characteristic is this element of self-discipline and self-control. Not something we actually talk much about in church life, and I suspect we need to talk about about it much more. It's one of the gifts, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit, as identified in the letter to Galatians, Those fruits are not distinct, separate things. They are dimensions of the fruitfulness of the spirit in our lives. Love and joy and peace and patience and so on. And the last one is self-control. That needs to be woven into our lives as uh, part of our daily rhythm. These These three things are part of a daily rhythm. Living daily in the powerfulness that comes from being a son and daughter of the living God, living daily, putting into practice that special kind of love which, is, which comes from God and which is demonstrated in Christ, the love that is never boastful, the love that doesn't keep a record of wrongs, the love that is never selfish, and learning day by day to be disciplined in walking in that way, to be disciples who are self-controlled and self-disciplined. uh, I'd just like to finish by reminding you of that other reading we had from Joshua, um, which is, in a sense, the Old Testament version of the the same exhortation, the same journey. Be strong and very courageous. Don't be fearful of those who come against you. Be strong and very courageous. I am with you at all times. That's the Christian journey. It's our calling So, God did not give us a spirit of fear and timidity. He did give us a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline.